1: Chad Franson here, co-host of the Process Breakdown podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks and giving your staff everything they need to be successful at their job. Past guests include David Allen of Getting Things Done and Michael Gerber of The E-Myth and many more. This episode is brought to you by Sweet Process. Have you had team members ask you the same questions over and over again in the the 10th time you spent explaining it? There's a better way and a solution. Sweet Process is a software that makes it drop dead easy to train and onboard new staff and save time with existing staff. Not only do universities, banks, hospitals, and software companies use them, but first responder government agencies use them in life or death situations to run their operations. Use Sweet Process to document all the repetitive tasks that eat up your precious time so you can focus on growing your team and empowering them to to do their best work. Sign up for a 14-day free trial, no credit card required. Go to sweetprocess.com, that's sweet like candy, s w e e t process.com. Drew DeWalt is co-founder and COO at Rumbix, which builds software for infrastructure developers and construction contractors. When Drew was a U.S. Navy nuclear submarine officer, he ran multiple divisions, both technical and operational. After leaving the Navy, he broadened into the development of oil, gas, and renewables. Drew graduated from Stanford Business School and then started a renewable development company in Chile before starting Rumbix. Drew, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you?
0: I'm
2: good. I'm good. Good to be here, Chad.
1: Hey, yeah. So, tell me a little bit more about um, Rumbix and what you guys do.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, so Rumbix started really in the in the trenches of some large infrastructure projects overseas, uh, really seeing some pretty high inefficiencies in in process. I, I mean, you really look at billion dollar plus projects from some of the best contractors and owners in the world, and you assume that things are pretty buttoned up. And I think, from generally from a safety standpoint, and sort of best in class by many of today's standards process, they absolutely were. But compared to what the opportunity could be with more modern tools and understanding and things like that, we felt like it, it fell short. And so that's really the experience that came out of Rumbix. when most major projects especially, um, but really as we peeled back the onion into I mean, actually, if you've ever done anything on the residential side, you experience the same thing. It's a totally different market, but you've experienced some version of the same thing of lack of information leading to poor decisions and therefore breaking project budgets uh, and timelines. And so I think there's there's a stat something mega projects, which are over a billion dollars, something like 80% of them are over budget, break their timeline or both. Um, and so we felt like there had to be a better way and it's it's not due to a lack of knowledge i mean some of the smartest engineers and managers in the world work in this industry Um, and not for a lack of trying but we felt like it was a lack of information to make good decisions from it so that's really why we built Rumbix, and and figured out that it's because the raw data collection and construction was so manual paper-based excel spreadsheet hosted on somebody's laptop. And it took weeks and sometimes months to get all the stuff you needed in one spot to make a coherent decision. So you're actually the reason you break budgets and timelines is because you're actually making um, well-informed decisions based on past experience and gut instinct to make big decisions. And it's better to understand where you are now uh, and solving problems that you're facing now rather than solving problems from two months ago, based on experience from a project three years ago.
1: So if you could um, maybe describe the software, some of the software that most people use a little bit and maybe what separates it from a- a what you described had been used previously.
2: <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's, been, a, it's been an evolution. I, I think construction has been one of the slower industries to digitize. Um, granted, it's the second largest industry in the world. It's been slow, and I think, for candidly, for good reason, but but nonetheless slow. And so, what you've seen is uh, the transition that most other industries have gone through over time. Um, You know, software wasn't the standard, really, even 30 years ago, 20 years ago. On some level, at least in, in the sense that we think about it today, and so most large organizations had like one piece of software, and essentially to do sort of accounting. Right and that's that would that's the the tale of construction and so the you know, not to take you too far down memory lane, but accounting software and construction got stress tested to do more and more for these contractors and then became these essentially grew into ERP systems for for resource planning um, and so that and that was a standard for at least the last twenty years in construction uh, that's most. Of the only software that construction companies had outside of some small things and email. Uh, and then when you look at it, you know, construction contractors are really a somewhat loose affiliation of individual projects that share some GNA, right? And so enterprise software is bad at managing projects. And so there gave rise to the second wave of software, I think, the construction of project management software, which is great, it's good at managing projects, but it's not good at managing the enterprise. So now you have these companies using these two different types of software to do what should be fundamentally the same thing, but they don't speak to each other. Um, Most of them aren't you know, what I would call data centric, they're very document centric, and sort of let's archive this stuff and and try to pull some insights from it, but it's usually a, a single division mining old data um or documents and so it's not very accessible and so i think Rumbix has like led the has led the way in the third piece which is how do we actually structure all the raw data at inception on project performance because that helps you understand unit rates and performance of how you actually do things Um, with current technology with just erp and project management software you sort of understand generally how you do things and you sort of hope that your unit rates are similar and you tweak them based on experience, but there's not that deep-seated knowledge of the nuance of it. So Rumbix does that. And, and I think we send a lot of data to project management systems, a lot of data to ERP systems, but there's a lot of data that we contain that doesn't have endpoints in other systems. And so I see it as sort of the third leg of a really strong, stool um that props up uh, a modern construction company
1: so you're not only the founder you're also the coo kind of break down your uh tell tell me about what goes into your day-to-day role as coo yeah it's
2: it's it's interesting um learning the role you know i've, I've essentially always been an operator um uh, but but I think the the role of a CEO is slightly different, right? It's you're you're a leader of operators in many ways, and so um, you know from a day to day standpoint, it is it is keeping your thumb on the pulse of the business, you know the health of individual departments, uh, making sure that they're planning and executing against plans and budgets, um, you know, but also a lot of other stuff around engagement, morale, company culture. Uh, And so that's what I spend a lot of my time in, you know, it's, it's a weekly to bi-weekly one-on-ones with managers. It's, uh, setting up skip level meetings so that, uh, individual contributors can have a little more access, uh, to myself and my co-founder. Um, you know, it's running quarterly OKR planning and preparation processes, uh, and things along those lines. And so I think, you know honestly gets into what we we probably are going to talk a, a bit about today, just the overall operating cadence and how you know I think that's been my development uh, as an operator is realizing that you know you can you can have all these different departments and pieces running as optimally as they can on an individual basis. but unless you stitch those together, um there's actually potentially compounding inefficiencies, even with every individual unit ostensibly operating at their most effective levels.
1: Yeah. So take me through your, your, uh, your process for kind of regarding product decisions, and then maybe how that applies to um, marketing and sales execution.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, a lot of times, and and a lot of this stuff is, it probably sounds like, might sound like duh, right? I Mm -hmm. get that. But until you say it out loud to yourself and others, you don't realize some. I, at least I didn't realize some of the um, assumptions I was making, right? And I think, you know, operationally, if you if you're honest with yourself, a lot of times you can really see your operational process as a conveyor belt. You know, a, a bit of a chronological conveyor belt. Like inputs go through a process, and then outputs are we sell it to somebody, right? And so we want to keep putting really cool inputs in, so that people want to buy it, and we grow revenue by feeding the conveyor belt. Um, but that's, you know, the definition of an organization that doesn't really learn, because um, a lot of that conveyor belt will end at a at a brick wall, right? The the mm-hmm. market doesn't want it, um, or at least doesn't want to pay <laughs> what you want them to pay for it. And so, understanding that it is it is really. A loop, you know, the military talks about the OODA loop um, quite a bit. I'm sure you've got talked about this on that podcast, you know, observe, orient, um, decide and act. And then and then you observe orient again. Right. And so understanding that loop such that, you know, if you take the the linear conveyor belt and just roll it into a circle, understanding that that those frontline decisions of delivering product to A customer, activating them, engaging them, getting their feedback and feeding that back into project product decisions so that you continue to make not just the most compelling product you think, um, but making the most compelling product for the market based on their expectations with a mix of your own experience is the way to really get the flywheel going.
1: So, so you, let me make sure I understand you, you would develop like a prototype and then present that to some people in the market and then they give you their feedback and then you go from there?
2: A bit, right? It's like, you know, when you, when you're starting a business, you know, Rumbix has been around for actually just celebrated our eighth birthday last month. Um,
1: Happy birthday.
2: (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, it's actually a really fun time. We give out uh, birthday awards based on our core values. And we actually have this Lieutenant Rowan award because um, one of our core values is an old Navy story. Um, uh, so it's pretty fun to recognize people for who over the course of the year have embodied those different core values. So uh good time of the year for sure. Um, but, you know, I think to your question on that, it's exactly like when you're starting the business and you have nothing right? You, you are actually running that linear conveyor belt that I talked about, right? You're like, you don't really know. You can talk to people, but you have to introduce something to the market to get a real response. Um, and so that initial product and candidly, the initial set of products, and this this doesn't even hold for just, you know, SaaS software like mine. I think it's it's very real, tangible products as well. You have to introduce something and that's almost entirely based on the conviction under which you started the business. Like I believe that the world should operate in this slightly different or drastically different way than it does now. And I believe there's value there. So I'm going to build for that value and then I'm going to validate it with the market. And so um, early on, you have to do that. So yeah, you, you talk to the market, you prototype, but you push it out there, you, you listen to um, you know, I think one thing I've done, as a business leader is, is really lean on much more experienced folks. Uh, so our, my stable of advisors has, has been um, healthy and growing. And, and I don't really hesitate to uh, allow people to come, you know, small owners in my business if I think they can help um, at different times. And so really understanding like listening advice, like if, if you wait until it's perfect, it's too long. And so like a lot of those prototypes just get it out there and get the reaction. And I mean, we went through, um, everybody in my company knows I hate the word pivot because I think it is overused too many times. Um, uh, You know, I see it as like a wholesale change. So actually there's a company we know that like was, uh, we know the founders and they've been wildly successful. Their initial product was actually helping people turn their iPhone photos into photo albums that would send to them. Mm -hmm. And now they do like deep deep linking within apps. Uh, And it's like, it's crazy, but they sort of learned that use case from their initial use case. So that that to me, I just think is like a really great pivot. Um, You know, Rumbix has always been for better data and insights in the construction industry from a worker's first perspective. Um, And that has never changed, Uh, but... A long way to say if I if I'm a little more um, forgiving in the in the term of pivot, we've we've probably done it two times. Um, you know, initially we actually, in an effort to meet that goal, we actually had a a wearable device um, for construction workers that checked GPS locations. We have a patent for mapping general biomotion to specific construction activities, and it was essentially one to take it from a highly inefficient process to a fully automated process um, which sounds great uh, but I think you you know we learned that that big difference between um, and such a large difference as to almost be night and day the difference between a good idea and a good product and a good business and so I think the the first one was a really good idea but a bad product and a bad business our second iteration that got rid of some of the hardware and the and the deep tracking stuff was a Good product, but not a great business, and then and then you know the third pivot was really turning into a great product with a great business that can grow. Um, but a long way to answer your question of yeah, you build a prototype, put it out to market, but then at some point it becomes this this it's really that loop of which there's big customer feedback, and you continue to feed in your own. Unique conviction about the future state of the world, but you don't do it in a vacuum. you do it in conjunction with um, feedback from the market
1: so when you're when you're doing marketing and sales um, you're always kind of um, paying attention to how you can change the product later
2: exactly right and and I think most good salespeople will naturally do that. Hey, my customer wants this, or I think the market wants this, but like, I I know a lot of businesses don't think about that as deep product intelligence. It's sort of like noise versus signal. Um, and can't, there's a lot of noise, trust me. Like, you know, I think especially in industry, but I think in most industries, once once a customer sees you as a, competent trusted supplier vendor partner whatever you want to call it they want you to solve more and more problems for them even if it's not a problem that you would naturally solve you know i, I like if i'm if i'm cynical i think some of our customers are like oh you guys are software guys and software could solve this so do you want it and we're like no this like you know what we do you know our mission your you know goal you know where we fit and so like that wouldn't even make sense for us to do and then they're like yeah but you're software guys um and so i think there's that's where you know that loop you have to maintain that external or, or sorry that internal conviction about what you're doing otherwise the the you know the dog the, ta- the tail will wag the dog and you start just chasing shiny objects in the market based on you know the the customer who could, has largest potential to write a check says this so we're going to do that Um, and it's a hard thing to do to say, I'm not going to chase those dollars because that's not what we do. Right. Um, so, so that's exactly it. But I think a lot of businesses don't instrument themselves to accept feedback from a market in a way that is thoughtful, compiled, that you can make decisions from it. It's just, you know, you throw it in a wiki and nobody ever looks at it. Right. So how do you, Take the noise from the market, turn it into signal, and then put that signal through your own filter to get a great product decision out the other end.
1: so you have so you have these product decisions, you have marketing and sales execution, and you mentioned the word cadence uh, earlier. What does it look like to kind of like build an operating cadence around that?
2: It's interesting. Um, it's just with realizing the the concert at which everything needs to work together. Um, you know, I think it's it's natural. And, and, you know, we've known some folks who have spent some time at companies like Oracle, right, who have it, they're behemoths, and they're dialed, and they're great at what they do. But like, you know, basically, a salesperson is not even allowed to talk to an engineer and vice versa, like pretty, pretty strong firewalls uh, of sorts. And I think it's scale. And at some point, when you're not um, and, and if anybody from Oracle is listening, this is not meant specifically against anybody, but generally as a business, um, you're not really in growth mode, right? You're growing through acquisition and some other stuff. You're still growing revenues, but you're not growing your product capabilities. Um, you're more in optimization mode is what I would put it. You know, you can start to do that. But when you're in growth mode and, and hyper growth mode, Every piece of the business has to be in lockstep, and you need to create that shared consciousness of what's going on. I need my engineers, like my most junior engineer, to uh, under like to appreciate the struggles that my salesperson is going through, and to appreciate, you know, the struggles that my pro serve consultants are going through, because. That diffusion of knowledge, there's better decisions at a lower level happening versus, um, you know, sort of the ivory tower of a few talking heads making everything. And then, and so that cadence is so important in the early stage. I think stays important. And candidly, I think the businesses that are going to be successful in the future, even at even at the scale of the oracles and SAPs of the world, are actually going to figure out a better way to maintain that concert of operating cadence across all parts of the business versus the firewall approach, because it allows you to be much more agile. Um, Whereas business in the past didn't move as fast. It wasn't as global and it didn't require the same level of agility. You actually wanted high quality and standardization at all costs. Um, And now like I'll take um, good quality, you know, good quality and agility over the former. And so that's where I think you want to instrument your business. And if you can instill that stuff in an early, earlier stage, like we are still eight years in um, it can make you even more wildly successful in the future.
1: Okay, great. Hey, I have one, one final question for you, but uh, first, how can people find out more about rumbics? Yeah,
2: best way, just reach out. Uh, and a lot multiple ways to reach out. Uh, via our website, www.rumbix.com. Rumbix is spelled R H U M B I X Romeo Hotel Uniform Mike Bravo India X ray. Um, it's actually from a Navy navigational term, it's right behind my head here. Yeah, uh, without cool. the IX, a rum line is a Navy navigational term. Um, and so yeah, check it out on the website. A lot of good information. Reach out directly, anybody be happy to talk to you. But you know, at the end of the day, if you know anybody that works for a big contractor uh chances are they're either using rummbx or they're looking at it uh so that's another good good way to uh find out about what we do
1: hey my final question uh you you you're the c o o but and you're but you're also the founder and you mentioned as part of your your uh responsibilities as c o o was to kind of impact the culture as you want it how do you kind of mm-hmm. uh, at, at, where do you like to maintain the culture and how do you um Keep it positive while maintaining high expectations.
2: It's tough. You know, I think it's what's interesting is that there's a difference between a positive culture and everybody being happy all the time, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, which I think gets confounded. But, you know, I think my my co founder and I are are equal in um, actually every respect. The reason the titles are a bit different just based on where we focus our relative energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're both equal stewards of things like culture, uh, and things like that for sure. But I think that, you know, the way we run the company, I've alluded to it, right. You, you build, um, you hire people that you can trust. You feel like you can trust. They're, they're a, they're talented professionals. You know, you look at your, you do your resume. Look, you can do the job. You hire people you think you can trust and then you trust them and find ways to build trust. And if you have those two foundational pieces and then us as leaders, we have a Monday morning, what we call an O&I, operations and intelligence meeting, 15 minutes, top priorities of business every week, um, updating on certain things that are important for the business. And it's it's one of the ways we build the shared consciousness of all of the different challenges of our business such that not just, me and my co-founder are thinking about these things our whole organization is trying to solve for these challenges um, and if you have smart people you can trust with the context of what are the business challenges what are our goals what are we trying to do then you can empower execution at lower and lower levels and so that just puts wind in everybody's sails and so i think honestly that's the way you build a great culture is everybody in my business knows that they're helping build the business they're not just Serving a boss and an outcome that I can't tie my own efforts to, and if you can do that, it's just it's it's absolutely amazing. And I still I still remember though to my point earlier about it's not about happiness. We were, our business was going through a really tough time. Um, I'm thinking of the time it was probably probably candidly around some COVID stuff, and I and we do we use some tools to measure. Uh, engagement and things like that of our business. And we were like, we were kind of at a low point as a business, like people weren't feeling great about what we were doing. And I remember my instinct was to go into like an all hands meeting and say, guys, everything's fine. It's fine, don't worry, we got this. And then I realized, no, it's like, and I, and I challenge people, I'm like, hey, we're in a tough time right now. And the reason you're stressed out is because it's tough. But the reason it's tough And you're feeling this is because it's real and we share with you what's going on with the business and you're helping build this. If you were super stoked and happy right now, it would mean that you're like, it's ignorant bliss and nobody wants that. They want to be a part of building this business. So there's actually this good side to the fact that you're feeling the stress and all this stuff and we're going to get out of this together. And we did and we are and we're back. And and so that is a, a small anecdote of why that's so important.
1: Great. That's great. Hey, uh, Drew, it's been great to talk to you. I really appreciate your time and your thoughts and insights. Thanks so much.
2: Yeah, thanks for reaching out. Good to chat and uh, looking forward to hearing the same.
1: So long, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening to the Process Breakdown Podcast. Before you go, quick question. Do you want a tool that makes it easy to document processes, procedures, and or policies for your company so that your employees have all the information they need to be successful at their job? If yes, sign up for a free 14-day trial of Sweet Process. No credit card is required to sign up. Go to sweetprocess.com, sweet like candy, and process like process.com. Go now to sweetprocess.com and sign up for your risk-free 14-day trial.